Hi, I'm Carol Pope, and you're listening to the Stewie Tunes Show with Tony Stewart and Aaron Badgley. Music and the media have always been attached at the hip. Great artists like the Beatles knew this, and their ability to interact with journalists played a huge part in their explosion of popularity in 1963 and 1964. On this show, in the Season 1 episode called Kissing Cousins, I talked about how unfavorable media coverage helped derail the career of Jerry Lee Lewis. A great review can make a big difference in the career of any musician. Aaron Badgley is a music journalist based out of Toronto, Ontario, and he writes and interviews for The Spill magazine and has recently also started writing for British radio station WA12. During his career, he has met some incredible people, and I look forward to sharing our conversation with you today. If you know of anyone who might enjoy listening, please let them know. And now, let's meet music journalist Aaron Badgley. Welcome to the Stewie Tunes Show. These are insights and commentary on the music and musicians that shape our lives. And now, let's go back to class with your host, Tony Stewart. Hi, Aaron. Uh, thanks for joining me today. No problem. Nice to meet. Uh, nice to be with you. Nice to join you. And uh, how's the weather there in Toronto today? It's it's a steam bath. It's pretty hot. Yeah. <laughs> Very humid and hot. <laughs> uh, same here. Same here. Um, so we're going to, uh, because I know you're a Beatles fan, um, I'm going to dive right in with some Beatles talk. And uh, I'm going to uh, make a statement. And I want to see from your perspective as a music journalist, um, how you feel about this. So the question is, I think uh, that the Beatles' friendliness with the media early on was probably equally responsible for their explosive success, as was their ability to play music. So what do you think about that? Well, I, I would agree. I think that they were the first band to, or first pop band or pop artist to really engage the media and use it. I mean, people like Elvis and people prior to that, they, they didn't avoid the media, but they were very short, very brief answers and just kind of, you know, did what they had to do. The Beatles courted it. The Beatles welcomed it. I mean, you you look at the 1963 before they broke in America, they were doing BBC sessions, which if you listen to the BBC sessions on the uh, BBC album, or if you're lucky enough to have some bootlegs like I do, they're hilarious. The Beatles are absolutely hilarious. And they would come into North America and they would do these press conferences or be interviewed and they were witty, they were funny, they were sharp and uh, always interesting. And uh, remarkably photogenic. I guess you could say they were the first boy band, but um, I hate that. But it's true. I mean, they were they were pinup boys too, right? They were. They just knew how to use the media. They they. Um, what's even more remarkable about that is that these guys were four working class uh, kids from Liverpool, and yet they knew what they were doing. Yeah, that's very true, and I mean that always surprised me. I also noticed that when I watch. Um, Hard Day's Night. I watch that film all the time, and 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 it's just so impressed with how photogenic they were. Well, and and that's a very really good example of of their wit because that that press conference scene was ad libbed. I mean, they didn't that wasn't scripted by the writer. You know, the famous John Lennon joke: "How did you find America? Turn left to Greenland." Shout out to my giggle on every too. time. <laughs> and asking George, you know, success changed you? Yes, but they also had the goods to back it up. I mean, they were you know someone. They, they they had the, the talent and the music that backed up whatever they're another good example if you get a chance to watch the movie eight eight days a week of their uh touring days fascinating it's a, it's a brilliant film ron howard put it together and uh 
their humor and they are photogenic. They are wonderful guys. So, and I, and I'm a diehard Beatle fan and people will know that if you know me, you know, I love the Beatles. So. Well, yeah, exactly. And that's why I figured I'd start off with some, uh, <laughs> some Beatles talk for you there. And, uh, we're going to stay on the Beatles talk for a little bit, um, because you've had, uh, a pretty uh, long career as a music journalist and in various media. And you had a syndicated show uh, called The Beatles Universe. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that, that was a show that I ran for five years. And I produced it here in Toronto with a, another gentleman, Eric Walker. And uh, it, the, the, whole, the whole idea behind the show was to kind of spread out beyond the hits. So, I mean, everyone knows Hey Jude and I Want to Hold Your Hand and Come Together. But I wanted to bring in stuff that people might not have heard, different versions I brought in some pretty, I thought, interesting interviews. Um, and then I would go into solo stuff and stuff that you may not know that the Beatles were associated with. So I could play a song and kind of go, you know, why is Fame by David Bowie in Beatles Universe? Well, that's John Lennon co-wrote it. Or, you know, why are you playing, you know, certain Mine for Me by Rod Stewart from the Sailor album? Well, that song is written by Paul McCartney for Rod Stewart. And a lot of people didn't know a lot of this stuff and, and it's kind of gotten lost over time and, and it's, it's interesting, I think. And, and people, I got a good response to it. I miss, I miss doing the show tremendously. So, Is it possible to still check out the show anywhere or? No, I don't. Um, there was a website up to last year that had it and I could, I could send you information. I don't know if they're still running it. They did run it um, kind of on a, what do you call it? A podcast kind of thing where you could listen to the old shows, but uh you know, I'm always thinking about resurrecting it. So who knows? <laughs> yeah, no, that would be a always time for the Beatles, right? So, always time for the Beatles. <laughs> so um, obviously there's a real marriage ever, especially since rock and roll um, started. There's always been such a marriage between the media and uh, the music. And, you know, a good review has always had that ability to push an artist forward or really hold an artist back. Um have you ever, I mean, in your days, uh, given a review that an artist has not been happy with or has ever contacted you and said, um, why'd you say that? Or Yes, I have. I, I wrote a review, and I'm, and I'm sorry, I can't remember her name. She was a blues artist out of England. And I, all I, I said it's a really good album, except there's a couple of filler tracks. So it's not even a bad review. It's just I said there's a couple of filler tracks. I got this email. What do you consider filler? What songs are filler? Nothing was <laughs> I thought... Okay, but the funniest time, uh, this one still makes me laugh, uh, is I reviewed an album by Dave Davies of the Kinks. And in the review, I said he was the founder of the Kinks. Well, I got an email the day that that went up there. I got an email from the Ray Davies people saying he did not start the Kinks. Ray Davies, in fact, started the Kinks. So then I changed it to, you know, his brother, Ray Davies. Then I got an email from Dave Davies going, well, I co-founded the band. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so well, there was this battle of emails between the, you know, the battling raid, you know, and, you know, they have a history of fighting. So finally we settled with Dave Davies who co-founded the band, the Kings with his brother, Ray. It was so funny, but it was, it was a bit nerve wracking too. <laughs> but uh, can I just say my favorite bad review of all time? Yeah, sure. Rolling Stone magazine, 1978 album was cornerstone by sticks. S T Y X. And the review is two words, sticks. And then stinks, S T Y N X. It kind of sounds like the review from Spinal Tap too. I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say that just in case there's any kids listening. But yeah, I know. What you mean. 
any rock and roll fans are, are going to know what I mean right away. Exactly. So what made you decide uh, to become a music journalist? What really, uh, you know, do you ha- did you have a particular person you looked up to or a couple of people? Or Well, you know, I, I, I looked up to, so as with many people, you know, back in the 70s, there was uh, Rolling Stone, which started in 67, which was really the first music magazine. And then there was Crawdaddy and Cream. But then in about 75, I discovered the British media and, you know, NME and Melody Maker and all these things. So I started looking up to them because they had these really great reviews where it wasn't just the song was terrible. It was, you know, who played on it and how it was recorded. And there were these columns and columns of reviews. And I really, really liked, um, you know, Charles Murray, for example, from from England. He, he Brilliant stuff. And I would just... You know, and then and then I was lucky. I had a uh, had a radio that could get shortwave, and I used to listen to John Peel um, from the BBC, and 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 it was great. I just kept thinking that's what I kind of want to do is is write about stuff that people may not know about, or try to attract attention or put a spotlight on stuff that might not necessarily get a spotlight. You know. Uh huh. So, what would be? Um... Do you have a favorite uh, career highlight so far? Like after the break, we'll talk about Spill Magazine. But um, sure. do you have a, a, maybe a, a career highlight that that stands out off the top of your head that was, wow, I can't believe I bagged that interview or? Yeah. You know. <laughs> For me, I mean, there's two. One is I got invited to a Ringo Starr press conference and I got to ask him questions, which which is really funny because at the very end, he said, do you want a photograph? And I had this cheap camera. I said, yeah. So I, he posed, and if you look at all the photos I took, they're all blurry because I can't stop shaking. But, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the the interview that kind of killed me was Ian Anderson to Jethro Tull. Um, normally when you interview someone of that stature, you know, you get the publicist and they go, just a minute, we'll put Mr. Anderson on the phone for you and all this. They gave me his home number. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling away here in Toronto. And I get this very, you know, hello. And I went, May I speak to Mr. Anderson, please? Speaking. <laughs> and I didn't say anything for about three minutes. I just like, my mouth went dry. My throat seized up. You probably forgot everything you were going to say. <laughs> oh, it, the whole interview went to hell in the habit. No, it turned out to be a good interview, but I, that was a highlight to speak to, to him. And you know, you know, you're on the right track when you can say, well, I really like this one album by you. And he goes, no one bought that album. I go, well, I did. <laughs> Now, now I need to know, uh, you know, going back to your Ringo interview, you said you got yeah. to ask him a, a question or two. Do you remember did, what, yeah. do you remember what you asked him? I sure do. I, I, I asked him why he chooses not to do some of his solo stuff. Like if you go see Ringo in concert, he just basically does Beatles stuff. You do a photograph and it don't come easy. And I said, you know, I'd love to hear you do a dose of rock and roll and stuff. And he, he kind of went, well, you're the only one. <laughs> <laughs> and again, there's that sense of humor coming through. Yeah. Right? And then I asked him what's on his iPod, and and uh, that was the question. He talked to me for about ten minutes about other bands. Like he was, he's like, well, you know, there's this band called the Zootons, and and he just he was he saw him change from being a bit guarded to just talking to another guy about music. And have you heard this one, Aaron? I said no. He goes, well, you got to check out these guys, <laughs> and that was that was a good one. And the third question I asked was. Um, did he ever think about taking the all-star band into the studio and doing a, a full, cause this is a weird stat, but he's been with the all-star band longer than any other band, longer than the Beatles. And I said, well, you know, you could do it now, but you know, oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> so that was, that was my moment. And then I went and 
I thought I was going to pass out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Did you manage to catch uh, Ringo's 80th birthday the other uh, night? That was absolutely amazing. Did you see it? Yeah, I did. Um, Cheryl Crow was stunning. She's that amazing. Was, she was. That was just brilliant. And I, I enjoy. I thoroughly. I enjoyed the, the whole show thoroughly. You know, it was and Ringo was good, and and I uh, I liked the little advertisements for the charities and. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, yeah, it was great. I, I liked it from beginning to end. So it was so nice seeing Peter Frampton. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, before we go to break, I wanted to find out, you know, how, we, we talked about, uh, you know, your favorite interviews uh, or the ones that, you know, you were so grateful to get. Um, do you have a, an interview that you can think of where your um, review or your interview helped push someone who was a little bit unknown over the top? Do you, have you had any of those that you can think of? Um, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but uh, <laughs> I, I find that that whole relationship between journalism and music has always fascinated me, you know? Well, you know, there's a, I don't know if I put him over the top, but there's a, a fella who I interviewed and I, I, um, I wrote a review for a guy named Walter DeBar and it certainly got him a lot of attention. And as a result, um, Walter and I have become very good friends, but I wrote this review at an EP he had done it. And I was the only person at that point who had reviewed the EP. And actually, our editor, Stephen, Stephen Lucier, he sent me an email and said, oh, give this a listen. Do you think you should review it? And I listened to it. And it's, it's, his voice is one of the most phenomenal voices you're ever going to hear. So I said, yeah, I'll review it. And uh, it's a great album. And I, and I compared one song on the album to Bob Dylan. I said, Oceans is his uh, Forever Young by Bob Dylan. <laughs> he just he sent me messages on Facebook like you compare me to Bob Dylan, man. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's true. Um, so yeah, that that helped, and and uh, I like to think I help a lot of the bands. Uh, I interview Blamange a lot, and I interviewed Midjour, and I I don't know if I push them over the top, but I certainly get them more exposure, and and uh, it's, it feels good. But but also I'm a fan, so to talk to Midjour. Uh, that's another highlight. That was great. Yeah. And um, I'm sure that must be really rewarding too, to see some of these people, you know, their careers uh, take off a little bit after that as well. Yeah. There's, there's a few Canadian bands and a few American bands that I, um, I interviewed a guy and reviewed him named Aaron Roach from Brooklyn, New York. And uh, it's funny. It's, it's a very funny story. My daughter happens to go to school in New York city and she went to see Aaron Roach at a club and he, he, she started talking to him because you know in, in the states you can talk to the bands more so than here and he she said her name and he goes wow badgley you know this is really cool guy aaron he helped uh, help me get some footing and she was lost my dad oh, that's really cool <laughs> that, that was kind of cool like, like okay well he's a nice guy and he's very, again there's a name you should look up as aaron roach he's phenomenal phenomenal musician all right that sounds like a, a good time for us to take our break for the music history moment I'll be right back with Aaron Badgley. For today's music history moment, we've got a Beatles-related story. On August 10th, 1972, Paul and Linda McCartney of Wings were arrested backstage at a concert in Gothenburg, Sweden. The charge was for possession of marijuana. They didn't serve any jail time, but they did have to pay a $2,000 fine. McCartney joked that the arrest would be good publicity for the tour. The incident did turn out to be serendipitous, however, as it was the inspiration for one of Wing's most enduring songs, Band on the Run. And now, back to the show. 
And I'm back with music journalist Aaron Badgley. So Aaron, I'd like you to talk about um, Spill Magazine, because you are a writer for them right now, and uh, you do interviews, but I'll let you uh, talk about that. And also, um, it's I'm impressed by Spill Magazine when I go on there, how much is on there. It's incredible. What an incredible resource. So I'll, I'll let you give the website uh, to people who want to check it out and maybe just talk about what you do there and about that magazine. Sure. But Spill, Spill Magazine, one word, spillmagazine.com. And it's, it's kind of, you know, it's just pure music. It, it's, not a, it's not an online publication that kind of has a bit of politics and TV and movies. It's just music. There are reviews for films, but they're music-based films. Um, but it's a chance to hear new music because there's often new music posted, you know, weekly or, you know, every maybe three times a week. Reviews for new albums by established artists, new artists, a lot of Canadian content, a lot of Canadian content. Uh-huh. Um, there's a, it, it's, it's just, it's a great source of, of learning about artists. There's interviews, there's reviews, there's news. It's all in one. And it's all there. And I've been writing for them for a few years now. And, and I've written a lot of reviews, a lot of interviews. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's Hoot, Steve, uh, Stephen Lussier, and, and, and you know, Arvin Kashyap, or, Kashyap or Rennet. And they're great editors and they're great people, really great people. Lots of freedom. And uh, yeah, I have, a, I have a blast. I have a great time. It's good. And for someone who's listening, you know, maybe an aspiring music journalist, how do you, um, how do you get... Uh, you know, let's say a position with Spill Magazine or something similar. What is, what's the process involved? Well, as, as the great Stephen King once said, if you want to write, you have to write. Um, I, you know, you just keep submitting. You, you ask them, can I, can I write a little bit here? Can, can I send you a sample of my writing? Um, and that's all I do. I mean, all I did. I've been writing since I was, I started writing in Ottawa. I, I was writing for the Ottawa U newspaper. And then I started getting gigs with some local papers in Ottawa and I, I kind of just kept growing. You know, you just kind of keep building on what you've done. Um, so yeah, you just, and it, it, there's no age limit. I mean, I, Brian Williston is a friend of mine who's just started writing and he's my age and just started writing a couple of years ago. It, it's, you just put your, put it out there that you want to write. And there's a lot of, there's tons with the internet, tons of opportunity to write and, and develop your skill. All right. That's great advice. Um, so, You've also uh, just landed a, a new gig, and uh, congratulations on Thank that, because that's pretty special. And it's with uh, WA12, and I'm going to let you describe what that is, <laughs> and uh, because you'll do a better job than I will. Um, Not necessarily. So, well, <laughs> so tell us about WA12, because that's really exciting. Yeah, I'm really excited. That's the, this is this is a thrill, and I tell you, it's it's proven to be a challenge too. There, WA12 is a, an independent station out of England. And again, it's one of those stations that has a dozen formats and you can listen to it at different times. You can hear different genres of music. I happen to be involved with um, a fellow by the name of Garth Musk and he has a show and it's on every Tuesday, one o'clock our time, Toronto time in the afternoon. So I guess that's about six o'clock UK and um, it's all new electronica. And so this is how the things connect, right? Um, he read my reviews on a lot of electronic bands that are coming out of Europe because I was running for Spill and I was covering a lot of the electronic bands because I love that stuff too. And they said, what do you want to, you want to do some stuff for our station? We're looking to expand. So I said, yeah. So I've been, I, my, I just reviewed Muskie. I reviewed an Ottawa band called DD7 who oh, yeah. 
Yeah, they're fantastic. And and they are connected to Church of Trees. And that's also how I got connected to Garth was through writing about, I've, I've reviewed Church of Trees. I saw them here in Toronto last year. Um, so, you know, it's that connections, right? And um, not because I knew people, but people were aware of what I was doing and they thought I knew what I was talking about. Ha ha. <laughs> so, and I've got a lovely email from DD from DD7 thanking me for the review, and it's a great. And I, you know, that's the beauty of doing this stuff, Tony, is that I, I wouldn't necessarily hear it unless someone said, "Here, review this," and they go, oh, "And I'm playing it for my kids and my wife." But isn't this great? Church of Trees has become a very popular band in this house. Let me tell you. So. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you know this, but uh, for anybody who's listening to this show for the first time, if you go back, uh, season two here, episode four, I interviewed uh, Bernard Fraser right. from Church of Trees, and uh, Bernard's a great guy. He is. He is. Wow. And very talented. Yeah, incredibly talented and knowledgeable, too. I, I loved chatting with him. Oh, he's amazing. He's amazing, yeah. So um, for people who are submitting, you know, recommendations for musicians who would like to get their music reviewed because that's always the, the tough thing for bands. You know, you're, you're great at producing music and then you just have to get it out there. And uh, what advice do you have for, for aspiring musicians who are trying to get their music heard and reviewed and, and how do they go about doing that? You know, sometimes it's, it's, it's sheer luck and on whose desks it lands and such. There's a guy in Toronto named Alex Southie. And um, you may not know his name now, but mark my words, you will know his name soon. And he sent um, a link to an EP he had put, or an album, actually, sorry, an album he put out here. And I, you know, what happens is Stephen, Stephen will say, well, who wants to review this, this, and this, and this? And it, for whatever reason, I go, oh, I'll check it out. So what I'm going to say is the advice is don't give up. You know, try to get someone somewhere to to endorse you. Listen to what you're doing. And... It, not necessarily write a glow. It doesn't have to be a glowing review, but it, just recognize that you're doing this music. There's there are so many artists, and I I tell you, I get emails every day. And if I had nothing else to do, I would literally, you know, promote and talk about these artists. But um, lots of people are willing to do it. There's a woman named out of Vancouver, Aura Corgan, who uh, she, she's blew my mind, and I she just sent a, an album. Then she's got seven albums out, which I thought, well, she's never given up. So. Yeah, you just don't give up and just try to get uh, someone who can endorse you or talk about you or get a mention somewhere. Even a mention helps. And my other piece of advice is, and Bernard would tell you this too from Church of Trees, is, you know, no attention's too small. And, and you know, he, he sends his music to, to internet stations, European stations, South America, South African stations. Uh, it, it's, it's exposure. So just keep sending it out. Someone's going to listen. I promise you that someone will eventually listen. Yeah, I love watching, uh, you know, seeing Bernard's updates on where his music's being played. We actually chatted about that during the interview. I know, yeah, I remember hearing that. Because <laughs> he, he said he was big in South Africa. I thought, well, that's that's odd, but okay. <laughs> yeah, but that's so cool, right? I mean, and certainly living in 2020 helps with that stuff, you know. Well, there's a, there's a band outside of Ottawa by the name of Rational Youth who used to actually be out of Montreal. And I was talking to the lead singer and he, we, we just, started, I don't know, we just started talking about fan base. He goes, you know where my biggest fan base is? And I said, no, he goes, Mexico City. <laughs> okay. He said yeah. he's in French half the time. So there you go. <laughs> oh, that's really neat. Um, 
So we are going to uh, move on to our final segment of the show here. And sure. uh, this is my, I love doing this because, <laughs> you know, these questions, right, they're just, they reveal so much about how people think. And uh, so we're going to do the the Stewie Tunes quiz. Are you ready for this? And, and you've, you've got the questions in advance anyway. So. Well, I, I forgot them. But, oh, uh, well, here you go. I mean, the first one will be easy because yeah, it's Beatles, Beatles yeah. talk, right? Yeah. So, uh, before I ask you who your favorite Beatle is, who, which which of the four do you think has been, and it's pretty, at least 60%, which of the four would you say that 60 plus percent of people I've interviewed has said is their favorite? I'd say Lennon. Okay. You know what? You'd be wrong. It's George, right? It's George. Yeah. Yeah. George has made a huge comeback in the last five years. Huge. And yeah. and I, I honestly believe it's because Guardian of the Galaxy. Oh yeah. That's true. My theory. That's my theory. But uh, Harrison has made a strong comeback, and uh, I'm glad to see it. I really, uh-huh. really am. So who's who's your favorite? I don't have one. Okay. Because, <laughs> you know, that's like saying, who's my favorite daughter? You know, I go through phases where, like, uh, uh, you know, I'll be listening to, for example, last week I could not stop listening to Ram by Paul and Linda McCartney. This week I'm on to George Harrison's Gontrapo. I, I really don't have a favorite. I... I I see it all as just one. Was it Mick Jagger said the Beatles were just one monster with four heads? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just I just watched uh, the video for Fab the other day by George Harrison oh, and with Ringo in it. Yeah, yeah, with Ringo in it, and that that's a great relationship that they managed oh. to keep up. You know, that whole well, time. And he even mentioned George in the uh, thing he just put out, like the, the one on YouTube where he did Don't Come Easy, and he said, you know, I wrote this song and George helped me finish it. And George took no credit for that. If you look at the songwriting credits, it just says Richard Starkey. They were very, very good friends, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, this one, I'm sure, is going to be tough because you must see a lot of music. But do you have a live show that stuck out that has been just, wow, that was an incredible live show, um, you know, that stands above all others, maybe? So I always have to preface my answers with there's the Beatle answer and there's the non-Beatle answer. Okay. Um, Beatle answer would be McCartney uh, in 89, which was a phenomenal show. But trying to stay away from the Beatles for a second, because that's predictable. You're going to be surprised what I'm going to say. But one of the, the concerts that impacted me the most was a band called Jaluka. I saw them at Massey Hall in 84. Uh, Scatterlings of Africa had just come out. Uh, they, were, uh, they were a band from South Africa, and they were, you know, uh, black and white. And they were a band. They couldn't play in South Africa because of the apartheid laws. And they put on a show at Massey Hall, and it was one of the most brilliant concerts I have ever seen. And I, and I, I um, talk about it to this day. Fantastic show. Yeah, it's a, it, it's so great, eh? When you think back to a show that just stood heads and above. You know, for me, it was just a show that happened uh, ten minutes from my house, and uh, I'm not even Who's a oh, I'm not even a huge Hawksley Workman fan. Like I like right. his music, but this particular show. Um, and I was writing a column for a local arts newspaper at the time. And I said in the, the review of that show, I said, it was one of those concerts where you, everybody collectively knew how special it was. Like it was just, he was on fire that night. And, um, yeah. and you were all hoping, please don't let this be the last song, you know? Um, yeah, that's and, a great show when that happens. It, it's incredible. And, and that's why I always ask that question because. Uh, I'll put a plug in for another show very quickly. I, sure. We're, we were on our honeymoon, my wife and I, in Ireland, and we were in a small pub in outside of Dublin. And Christy Moore, for all you Irish fans out there, Christy Moore happened to be in the pub, and someone said, "Hey, Christy, give us a song." <laughs> and he played for three hours, and it was 
30 people in this pub, my wife and I, you know, all these Irishmen. And uh, I'm a big Christy Moore fan. I didn't even see him in the pub or I would have freaked out. But there he was, you know, five feet away. It's the same kind of thing. It was a magical night because it was like just Christy Moore, acoustic guitar, and you're in Ireland and you're thinking, okay. <laughs> nice. So uh, who's the performer, you know, you most wish you could see? And they could be dead or alive. Um, but what concert would you like to see or wish you could have seen? So I'm going to, I keep giving you long answers and I apologize. Oh no, please do. I, I have to give you, I have to tell there's a story attached. I mean, sure. I, I always wanted to see George Harrison. Um, and when he played Toronto, I was 10 years old. And my mom would not let me go because I was too young and, it, and my, my brother wouldn't take me. So I ran away from home. I lived in Whitby. I, I saved enough money to get the go bus. Well, it was a Greyhound bus. I got to the bus station in Toronto and my brother was there and said, you're in trouble. And I said, look, I got enough money for the ticket. Let me see George and I'll go home. He goes, no. <laughs> so I missed oh, that concert. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but uh, I, I really regret never seeing Lou Reed. I, I love Lou Reed. And, and every time he played Toronto or, and I, I lived in Ottawa for a number of years, he played Montreal or Ottawa, I, would, I would, couldn't get tickets. They would sell out so quick. And I, I wish I could have seen Lou Reed. That would have been an amazing night. Mm-hmm. Now, again, this next one is going to be tough because you – see so many uh acts but do you have an underappreciated or unknown performer who you think you know everybody needs to know about this person i have a list <laughs> yeah sure but but you know I, I mentioned aaron roach um I, i'm really there's a band out of england called swimmers jackson well actually he's irish but he lives in that london swimmers jackson uh a band out of ireland called lancum i they really need to be huge um uh, perfume guard, uh, per, sorry, perfume genius, um, and Walter DeBar and his band, uh, the Little Blue Hearts. But here's the thing, right? There's a lot of unknown bands, but Tony, in my opinion, there's a lot of established bands who are making music still that kind of get ignored. A bit of a, an ageist thing, I think it is, because, like I, 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 you know, there's so many bands that are continuing to put out fantastic music, and at least in Toronto, you don't, they don't get airtime. Um, so that's a bit of a pity. So, you know, I'm thinking of pe- about people like, like Ian Anderson and Jethro Tull or Hall & Oates or band Kansas. Kansas just put out a brand new album and it's, if you like prog rock and I do, it's fantastic. Well, I, I read your review actually. Oh, did that. you already? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, well, no, okay. <laughs> it's a great album. It really yeah. is. Phenomenal album. So yeah, a lot of bands, but I, I would stick with, I think, I think Lancome is a band. They're out of Ireland. They put out three albums, sort of. I mean, it's a couple of other things. They should be huge. Oh, and The Gloaming. The Gloaming. Okay, Dude. excellent. You know, maybe what I'll do after the interview is, is if you send me a list of some of those names, we can even put them in the show notes for people to check out. I, I always like doing that. Final question, my favorite question, because uh, this, you know, could be really fun if you were having a dinner party and you could invite one artist or or a band let's say um who would who would it be tough uh, tough question eh you know i kind of wanted to invite the kinks just to see the brothers fight um <laughs> <laughs> or the gallagher brothers or the gallagher brothers yeah, yeah. That, that's that's entertaining too um gee, that's a tough question i think there's a part of me that would like to like you know because I don't know a lot about them, but I, I, I have a love. Like, I would love to have a, a party with, like, here we go. I'm going to go way off base here, but Buddy Holly and Eddie Cochran and 
Gene Vincent. I love rockabilly and, and the old rock stuff, you know? And they're underappreciated, I think. Anyways, certainly mm-hmm. Eddie Cochran, who, who to me just blows me away. I'd love to have that kind of dinner party with the old, the old rockabilly cats and just, you know, see how that, because I, I imagine it'd be a hell of a night of music that night, you know? Yeah, it would be really fun. That would be just a hoot. And I'm sure there'd be some fights. <laughs> I don't want fights, but you know. <laughs> Especially not in your own house, but. <laughs> exactly. No, we'd have it in the park, you know, socially distanced. <laughs> that's right. That's right. On a patio or something. On a patio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys in Toronto must be looking forward to stage three or phase three coming. Boy, it's tough. I hope so. It's, it's been, um, it's been hard. It's understandable. And I, 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 I can appreciate, but um one of the things I miss most, and you'll appreciate this, Tony, because I know you're an absolute, you're a very talented musician yourself and you play live. I miss live music. I miss yeah, going I mean, out and I just hate it. I miss it. Yeah, me too. You know, my, my uh, musical partner, Rick, and I were talking about that the other day. Like we've probably about 20 shows by now that we have not been able to do, you know, based on That's our, we were pretty busy. So, but yeah. uh, you know, we'll, we'll get there. I mean, there is light at the end of the tunnel at least. Uh, yeah um well aaron this has been uh, delightful talking to you today i oh, really it's been great i've really enjoyed it really yeah enjoyed it. and it was really nice to meet you finally and i really yes. appreciate uh really appreciate you taking time to be on the show so thanks so much oh anytime anytime and thank you for talking to me i, I, I this is my first interview in six years so this is kind of cool i've enjoyed it oh great well thanks <laughs> a lot all right tony take good care you too bye-bye And that was my conversation with Toronto-based music journalist Aaron Badgley. Aaron has had some incredible moments in his career, and it was great to hear perspective from someone on the other side of the fence, so to speak. Music and journalism will always be intimate partners. I'd like to thank Aaron for appearing on the show, and I'd also like to thank my musical partner and good friend Rick Denis for providing the music in today's episode. As always... Please share this podcast with a friend or family member if you are enjoying what you hear. That really helps independent producers like me. My next episode is going to feature award-winning guitarist, singer, band leader, and songwriter Lucas Hanneman. Lucas has been legally blind since birth, but has never let that get in the way of his achievements. Until we meet again, stay safe, be well, and see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Stewie Tunes Show. If you're enjoying this show, don't forget to click subscribe.